swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome back into Extra Innings. Joining me now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, she covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. Caitlin McGrath, you can follow her on Twitter at Caitlin C. McGrath. And, and Caitlin, appreciate you joining me here. How is it going covering this Blue Jays team that is always in, in the thick of the conversation in the American League? Yeah, I mean, obviously the American League East is always interesting um, to cover. It's a very good division, probably one of the best divisions in baseball right now. You know, the Yankees racing out to a huge lead in that division has kind of changed the complexion of it a little bit in the sense of now you have three of those teams really battling for those three wild card spots. Blue Jays, as you say, are in the thick of that. Um, so, you know, it's been an interesting season to cover. I think the Blue Jays have been a good team, um, but I think they want it to be a great team, and I'm not sure that they've been a great team yet. Um, certainly they have the, the makings of a great team, but um, this first half has, um, you know, been fine, but I think that they have another gear they probably want to get to. If they're going to get to that gear, what area of the team do you think needs to step up? Because as a as someone who covers the Mariners, I look at the Blue Jays roster and there are just names on names on names. It's almost an embarrassment of riches, and yet we look at their record. Uh, there's just you know there are a few games above five hundred, as you said. They're right there in the American League East. But what area do you think the Blue Jays need to improve in if they want to make some noise uh, in the playoff race? has to be their pitching I would say both starting pitching and relief pitching um, has to be an area that they address at the deadline or before then Um, it's been probably the weaker spot of the team this rotation started out really strong and they've got good um, two you know great pitchers at the top of the rotation and Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman has been you know basically what you want um, out of them or what you kind of expected of those guys leading your rotation maybe you're a little bit pleasantly surprised how um, how great Alec Manoa has been in particular, just because it is only his second season um, and his first full season in the majors, and he's been great. Um, but, you know, Jose Barrios has been really up and down this year, oddly enough, because that's not who he's been. Uh, but he's been inconsistent. Um, you know, you guys in Seattle know you say Kikuchi very well. He's been incredibly inconsistent as well for the Blue Jays. Um, and then they've lost Hundred Ryu to Tommy John surgery. So Ross Stripling, who was kind of in a swingman role, has stepped up, and he's been great. He's been, um, you know, everything that they would hope that he could be filling in in that spot. But their rotation depth is really, really thin. They really don't have anyone behind those five, which is why we're seeing, you know, Yusei Kikuchi struggle a lot, and they really don't have any other option than to just continue to throw him out there because they don't really have anyone to go to beyond him. I mean, they're a few options they can try, um, but it's a pretty thin um, department of their depth. The bullpen has sort of come into the season. It never was expected to be like a team strength. I think the the thinking about the bullpen was like, well, we're, the offense will be good enough that uh, potentially they're always going to be working with, you know, leads uh, or significant enough leads that it's okay if we don't have sort of a, 
a total shutdown bullpen. But, you know, the, the way that the offense started, they were a bit, bit slow to start. The team was winning a lot of close games, which is good because they won those games. But you, it, it seemed to maybe have taken a toll out of the bullpen a little bit. In terms of their, like, workload, it's been increasing lately because of these starting pitching struggles. And, again, they don't have this shutdown bullpen to begin with. It's a lot of guys that rely on contact. And when you rely on contact, you know, sometimes balls get through. And so if I was to sort of identify the things they need, they need depth starting. I don't necessarily think they need to go out and get an ace pitcher, although they could do that for the rotation because um, they have needs next year as well. Um, and they need some, like, shutdown relievers. They need some guys that can go up there and strike guys out, get swing and miss. Um, and sort of have a little bit more um, dominant um, relief pitcher in their uh, group beyond their closer, Jordan Romano, who's been very good for them. Caitlin, I like that you brought up Yusei Kikuchi because that he is obviously a, a name that is very recognizable out here, especially over the last couple of years. Uh, he had a very up and down career here in Seattle as well, and and right now, you know, you look at the comments that Charlie Montoyo made after last night's game when when Kikuchi struggled, said something to the effect of like it's tough to play behind a guy who isn't throwing strikes right now. That's a pretty direct, I think, shot across the bow at Kikuchi and how he has been lately. How has that signing been received? I mean, he signed a three year deal with Toronto, got off to a, a pretty decent start to start the season, but obviously dealing with those commands issues right now yeah I mean it's tough because um I think that the circumstances around the signing were not quite normal like normally um a guy maybe would sign in you know January or December and have a bit more time to sort of work with a team or get to know a team get to know what you know they're getting into and all that kind of stuff obviously with the lockout everything was just pushed back and Kikuchi really just signed basically right when spring training started and it was a condensed spring training um, to begin with. So just not a ton of time to sort of get in there uh, under the hood, so to speak, and figure out what you have with Kikuchi or figure out what you can do. And so a lot of this sort of um, work and tweaks and adjustments and stuff have been sort of ongoing as, as they're playing the season. So that's always tough to do. Um, And, you know, Kikuchi to his credit has, been very um, open to changes and everything that the Blue Jays want him to do, but you can sort of see that it's tough to do this, you know, as you're trying to go out there and pitch against the best hitters in the world um, and as you're a team that has high expectations. Like, it just seems like whatever they were trying to do with him, like, there have there's been starts where it looks good and it looks like it's working, but then there's other starts like last night where he just he has no command of his fastball. And, um, you know, I don't know the extent of what all his ups and downs were with the um, Mariners, but it seems like he's had different issues over his career. Sometimes it was getting hit hard, right? Like serving it up, and, you know, batters were just hitting the cutter really hard or whatever it may be. That's been somewhat of an issue, especially early on with the Blue Jays. It was like, okay, he's giving up a ton of hard contact. Now it's been sort of different in the sense that it's not that he's giving up hard contact. He's not even getting his pitches anywhere close to the strike zone. He's not establishing the fastball. And if you don't establish fastball, guys are just putting the bat on their shoulder and not swinging. I think he had like four or five walks last night. Um, so that's been the issue lately. Is it's, it's been – there's no – sort of clear like there's no sort of clear idea that he knows where his fastball is going and so that's really tough to pitch behind I think that's what Charlie was saying it's tough to pit or tough to play behind a guy when he's just 
really not throwing strikes and you really can't anticipate what's going to happen. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic joining us here on Extra Innings. And Caitlin, there may not be a rivalry between the Blue Jays and Mariners players, but it does feel like the fan bases kind of get into it whenever Toronto does come down to Seattle. And, and Blue Jays fans are, amongst Mariners fans, I think, the rowdiest bunch that comes to town every year. Now, obviously, last year with the border uh, being shut down, there weren't as many Blue Jays fans in the stands, but I would imagine this weekend we're going to see uh, a big, big drove of, of Blue Jay blue in the stands. Uh, how expansive is the Blue Jays' reach? Because obviously they're they're the only pro baseball team in Canada. They're among the leading vote-getters at nearly every position in the, in the All-Star Game balloting. Uh, how have the Blue Jays just been able to coat the entire country of Canada, especially you know with BC? I think a lot of fans come down from BC being so far away from Toronto. Uh, how have they been able to just kind of make their presence known a- across the country of Canada? Yeah, well, I think it's one, they just lean into the whole identity that they are a team that plays for a nation. Like they're the only team that has that um going for them they play for an entire country obviously they're located in toronto and i think they're most you know the 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 um they you know they play for the city of toronto but they also play for the country because there's no other team that canadians can root for and baseball is a big sport in canada especially in the summer you mentioned bc it's very big in bc obviously the weather there's a little bit more um, friendly to playing baseball um, than it is in like, you know, Quebec and Ontario where we have pretty nasty winters. But um, yeah, it's a, a popular sport across the country. And the Blue Jays have been, you know, a good franchise in the past, I think in 92 and 93. Um, again, like the Expos existed then. So um, it wasn't quite the same sort of um, like wide, countrywide fan base. But, um, you know, since the Expos haven't been around anymore, the Blue Jays have kind of been able to lean into that we play for a country. And, yeah, I think that the various successes you've seen from um, the franchise 2015 and 2016 stick out to me and that when they went on those runs with those sort of teams with Jose Bautista and Josh Donaldson and Edwin and Nacion and, you know, all those guys kind of established um, as a great Toronto team, made some deep playoff runs that kind of revived baseball in this country to some extent. Um, and then, you know, since then they've not, you know, they went through a down period in terms of the standings and the results, but even during that down period, they had um, some of these exciting young players that uh, they could kind of look towards and say, this is going to be the future of our team. Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., obviously, um, two of those big names um, that now are starring for the Blue Jays. And so, you know, I think that they've just kind of leaned into that identity. The players lean into it as well. They always mention it. Um, guys, when they sign with Toronto, they always sort of mention it's so exciting to be playing for a country. And, yeah, Canada really gets behind their players. Like you say, they all serve out as a good example where Toronto seems to guarantee themselves at least think, four all-stars every year because of the, the voting that fans do here. Yeah, and one of those votes uh, is head-to-head with the Mariners and Blue Jays at first base, Ty France and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They'll be duking it out over the next couple of days. She is Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Make sure you're following her at Caitlin C. McGrath on Twitter. Caitlin, really appreciate you hopping on here on Extra Innings. We we enjoy your analysis and uh, look forward to reading it this weekend as the Mariners take on the Jays. Awesome. Thank you for having me. From one athletic writer to another, Jason Stark, you know him, you love him. He has been around the game for so many years with such great insight. 
He joined Mike Lefko and Ryan Roland Smith earlier this week to talk about this Mariners team and how he expects them to approach the trade deadline. His conversation with them comes your way next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Still got about 45 minutes to go here on Extra Innings on this Wednesday night. This next half hour or so of these 45 minutes can be very heavy on Julio Rodriguez and with great reason for that. I mean, Julio has been the number one reason why this Mariners team is where they are at. He has been just an absolute godsend to this lineup and also to the outfield defense. One of the great baseball minds out there is Jason Stark, and it's always great to get a read on where this Mariners team is and and where players like Julio are in terms of the national consciousness of baseball because we see it every day here in Seattle. But those who may not see it every day, what do they make of this Mariners team where they're looking at the box score, they're looking at the highlights on YouTube and on ESPN, on the MLB Network, what do they make of where this Mariners team is? Jason Stark was asked by Mike Lefko and Ryan Roland-Smith whether or not Julio Rodriguez has done enough to become an all-star also, what should they do at the trade deadline? Here's what Stark had to say about Julio's all-star bid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Julio, to me, has become one of the must-see attractions in the league and uh, just a total game-changer, team-changer, season-changer. You know, I don't know which of his stats blow me away more, but headed for 30 homers and 40 steals at 21. The only player in history to ever do that at 21 or younger was Mike Trout. And that's not a bad comparison. (laughs) We were talking about that too, Jason. We were were talking about can you get to 30, can you get to 40 stolen bags. It's it's one of these things too. You see teams around baseball, and we've seen this, obviously this this new era of the stolen base is not as valuable. We'll – do you think, speaking of that real quick, do you think the Mariners will start shutting him down, running more to to you know limit him from getting to 40, 40 bags? That's a really good question. You know, he, he wasn't a huge base stealer in the minor leagues, as you guys know, but he's so fast. And, um, it, you know, when he just makes it look so easy. I, I don't know why at this point you would – you would stop him from running when it it makes him such a force and makes that offense so much harder to deal with. But since May 1st, there's no other player in the whole sport with double figures and stolen bases and uh, a slugging percentage of 550, 560, wherever he's at. I mean, he's a unique force in the sport. He's, he's Ronald Acuna West. I, I to me, if I have a player like that, I let him loose, not hold him back. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I, I agree with you 100. percent I want to switch gears. Just recently, you know, we, we've heard so much about the automatic automatic automated strike zone. Umpires are under the most scrutiny I've seen ever. I think maybe because right. te- technology helps that, and everyone at home can watch and they can see that floating box and. Yeah, you know, everyone has an opinion on on social, and because now all of a sudden you do have that robo um sort of, you know, th- them looking over their shoulder. What? How did you hear so many different opinions? But how do players and front offices and coaches, when you hear Rob Manfred talk about this is inevitable in twenty twenty four to do to go with robotic umpires, how, be, 
behind the scenes, how do teams look at that? Is this something that across the board they're like 100% this needs to happen or is it 50-50? Like how are they, how are they taking this? Uh, you know, I think front offices are resigned to it, are ready for it. Players are a little different deal. Um, you know, it, it, it's very significant that that you've now got this automated strike zone in AAA, so that players at upper levels are starting to get used to it. But I, you know, I've I've gone to the Atlantic League now a couple of years in a row where they've had it and talked to players about it. And players who have been through it are not fans of it. And, you know, you mentioned, Ryan, the boxes on the screen. And I had a player say to me, everybody thinks thinks that's what it's like. You know, if you had had that box on the screen and then there was instantaneous ball strike call and everybody could see what a strike was, what a ball was, including us – That'd be one thing, but that's not how it works in real life. They've had a hard time getting the robot umps to call what hitters and pitchers both have come to accept through their lifetimes as an actual strike. And so the problem isn't in the technology anymore. It's it's an trying to define what the technology is going to consider a strike because what I've seen, what players complain about is you've got these pitches that just that might tick the corner that don't look like strikes to anybody in the ballpark except the robot. Right. And but because they tick the strike zone in some way, the upper half, uh, bottom half, they're called strikes. And so what you're seeing at the minor league level is baseball's trying to tinker with the definition of the strike zone so that it conforms more closely to what we all think of as strikes. And that's the part of this that has to get figured out before it comes to the big leagues. There was, there was talks, Jason, I was on, on, on this MLB meeting about rule changes and, and trends and stuff like that. They kind of came up with this happy medium, and I don't know if this is something that they're considering, where the umpire can basically, a human umpire can sit back there and call balls and strikes, but he has technology in his ear to say, to basically say ball or strike, and he can sort of overturn himself. And then the hitter or the catcher can, if they want, they get like a challenge like in tennis, where they can turn around and say, oh, hold on, I want to challenge that. Is that something they're considering? I feel like that's just a happy medium where umpires can keep their skill set and catchers can continue to frame pitches and we still have technology and everything else? Yeah, I think that's a that's a definite option. We're only a couple of months into the Florida State League experiment with that. And so far it's gotten really good reviews, but it's a really small sample size. Um I think there are a lot of advantages to it. You know, one of the issues with the um the automatic ball strike system is that sometimes there's a delay and you know, I've seen some weird stuff happen with these delays where, you know, a pitch is thrown, everybody thinks it's a ball, the runner on first starts trotting to second, whoops, all of a sudden it's a late breaking strike and you, know, you have guys stealing bases they don't even know they stole. And it's, right. This is stuff that They've got to figure out, and if you only have the appeal system, you don't have as much of that. But that's also the problem with the appeal system is, you know, there are certain times where runner's going, runner's not going, runner might have gone. Um, What do you do if 
the runner took off, stole second, but now there's an appeal, or the runner, you know, didn't wasn't going, but now the ball has changed to a strike, or the strike has changed to a ball. There there are issues with that, but I do like the idea that it helps the game move along. It gives um, catchers as we've known them, the chance to still demonstrate framing. Uh, it gives umpires more leeway. There are advantages to it. It's just with all of this stuff, we've got to go through a lot of reps to figure out what the unintended consequences are. Hey, Jason, before we let you go here, as we near the uh, trade deadline in the second half of the season, the Mariners sitting here at 40 and 42. It is below 500. There's some ground to make up, but with their progress and their start to ascend a little bit. Is there a move at the trade deadline you think would be practical for them? <laughs> We're talking about Jerry DePoto, right? <laughs> so there'll and, be a lot of moves, probably. Yeah, I mean, Jerry is one of the big wild cards at this deadline because he could buy, he could sell, he could buy and sell at the same time. Um, you know, I think that... If it, that makes it hard to say what is the move because where are they going to be in the standings in four weeks? You know, they've got, they've got games with the Blue Jays. They've got a ton of games with the Yankees and Astros. If, if they can come through that and they're still close to the wild card race this year, they're in a great spot to buy just because – those AL East teams have to beat up on each other, and the Mariners have a great schedule down the stretch. I don't think they play a team with a winning record the last three weeks of the season. So they'll certainly keep that in mind. And then even if they fall off the pace to be realistic contenders for this year, Jerry clearly sees them as a contender next year and moving forward. So they'd be looking possibly to acquire pieces that help them contend next year and beyond. And so what's that move? This is not going to be a real star-studded deadline, and there's going to be a lot more buyers than sellers. So it's, it's really hard to take any team right now and say, this is the move that changes everything. And the Mariners are right at the top of that list for me. When we return on Extra Innings, I sit down with Shannon Dreyer and Ryan Roland-Smith for a little roundtable of what we saw from Julio Rodriguez on this last homestand and what we continue to see from him. Really, we just marvel at Julio Rodriguez for an extended period of time because this guy has just been so incredible over the last couple months, really since the start of May. So we dive into what makes him incredible, what our favorite things are about his game all of that coming your way next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field going to the Western Metal Supply Company. Goodbye baseball upper deck. The top terrace in left field down the line. Holy smokes, the kid did it again. Julio Rodriguez with his 15th home run of the season. They have three patio terraces in front of that brick building, that beautiful brown brick building in left field, the corner here at Petco Park. And Julio Rodriguez hits it way up top. 
on two-run home run, and the Mariners now lead the Padres four to nothing. This kid is amazing. Sometimes you just got to marvel at greatness, and that's what we have seen from Julio Rodriguez over the course of the season's first half. Who, look, he is definitely worthy of an all-star bid, especially after the last couple months. Two-time American League Rookie of the Month. He is the reigning American League Player of the Week, and all of it is so deserved. And and you just got to kind of shake your head at, at how great he has been leading the team in home runs on pace for about a 30-30 season. He's leading baseball in stolen bases. He's among the league leaders in war in terms of outfielders, not just amongst rookies, but in terms of all outfielders. He's been everything the Mariners could have wanted and more. And following Sunday's game, the game in which he went solo off of Frankie Montas to start the game. Julio Rodriguez, the lead off the bottom of the first. The pitch swung out and belted deep to left field. Line drive. Goodbye baseball. Off the hand operated scoreboard. Julio Rodriguez ambushes the first pitch of the game from Frankie Montas and hits a rocket out the left field. His 14th home run of the season. Holy smokes, and just like that, the Mariners take a very quick one to nothing lead. Yeah, that that one got out in a hurry. You just got to kind of shake your head sometimes at how great Julio has been because you just don't see it very often, especially around these parts. It's been quite a while since the Mariners last had a homegrown bat deliver the way that Julio Rodriguez has. Now, Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer, Ryan Roland-Smith, Mariners analyst, and myself, we joined forces post-game of Sunday's game, Sunday's win, a 2-1 to victory over the Oakland A's, the second of four straight victories, and just kind of had to marvel at what Julio has been able to do, especially as of late. He is just playing at a level that... I don't know if any of us expected him to be at this quickly. I think eventually we thought he was going to get here, but it's July 3rd, and he's looking like one of the best in, in the game, regardless of position. Curtis Rogers, Ryan Roland-Smith, and we are now joined by Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. I wouldn't call this a round table. I think this is like a long table. Very linear right yeah. now. Yeah, we're all we're sitting side by side, so I, I don't think we can call it a round table. But Shannon, I mean, before any of us were able to kind of find our seats julio puts one off the scoreboard today uh it just feels like every single day we're seeing something from this guy that it just kind of blows us away yeah and i think that what we're seeing is the preparation that he put into getting here and he was ready you know there was no question about it and you think just back to last ball and well he's really going to have to show a lot i think is what a lot of people were saying to each other and is he going to be able to force the issue and everything else Uh, that took a day in spring training. That's on, Ryan. I know. I've, I've been having some mic <laughs> issues all day, trust me. Classic talent, blaming the equipment around yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah, good job there. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's just it's funny. Somebody tweeted me during the game, and he said, should we be getting emotional about what we are seeing with Julio right now? Because he's, you know, putting himself on Soto level and, you know, just the, the big, you know, Cunha and things like that. Is, is Seattle about to see that? And I'm like, yeah, if you're a Mariners fan, absolutely. Get excited about that. You don't see that very often and he's starting to make this game look a little bit easier and to do it with just three months of big league experience is really something yeah it's it is 
unlike anything we've seen here in Seattle in quite some time, especially from from a bat. You know, we we were all here during Felix's run when he was you know 19 years old, getting called up. He lit the world on fire here in Seattle for as long as he did. But man, I, I, the last bat to come through here at this level and to produce at this level right out of the gate. Alex Rodriguez, is that fair to say? Maybe Jose Cruz Jr.? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been it's, a long you're, time. You're definitely going back, going back a ways, and that's a fact that's been bemoaned for a long time with this organization, and, and it's it's been very tough. But it, it's good to know that you liked what you saw from him in the minors. He had a good feeling about it, and he's living up to every bit of that potential. And there's so much credit. I mean, obviously, he gets the lion's share of it, and he's very much taking control of, of what his career is. But, you know, the organization has done things. His agency has done things. They've got a good setup, and not just in the winter, but let's remember there was a pandemic season that they had to get through, too. And he didn't lose a step in that. And, and so, you know, the people that are around him, the people that he puts around him, his representation, and their training along those lines. Uh, very, very important. And then the Mariners, I like the way that they handled him. It was a very unique thing that they did last year. They let him go play in the Olympics. They let him leave the organization a few times to go overseas and play in games during a baseball season. Your most prized prospect. And they did that. And they felt those experiences would be good for him and something that he really couldn't get in minor league baseball and you know he's he's living up he's been on the big stage and you know he loves it <laughs> oh <laughs> if you haven't noticed <laughs> there are very few people to ever wear a mariner uniform that uh, have welcomed the spotlight the way julio do we has. have favorite julio things here it was funny a question was asked um, do you always dance when you're in the box and the answer is yes he's got a little hop and a dance that he does in the box i mean he does some things in the outfield the way he wears his uniform is there you know the no fly zone that he puts sign that he puts up are there things that stand out for you that you like to see i love how he rounds third base after hitting a home yes. run and manny acta who was on uh, our flagship station earlier this week talked about how like Man, he comes in with a lot of force, and I sometimes I'm not ready for it. Sometimes I gotta kind of take a couple steps back to ease the blow from the high five I'm gonna get Julio or get from Julio. But and then he does that side step, yeah, and he yeah. does the big windmill to do the the high five as well. Because you brought up the All Star game and who he's up against as far as from, yeah. especially from the center field. So I just want to rattle off a couple numbers now. Let's not forget this is 300 at bats. He's at 300 at bats, so it's not like he's all of a sudden 200 at bats. Everyone's had another 80 or 100. So first of all, batting average, he's third. You've got Aaron Judge, Luis Robert in front of him. Now, by the way, when you roll through some of these who's in front of him, they're not sticking around in the top five in these other categories. For example, Luis Robert is not sticking around you know, in, in the home run category, for example. And then, look, home runs, you've got Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Buxton, couple names that, you know, in consideration. But there's Julio down there in seventh, 14. Obviously, Aaron Judge with 29 is crazy, 23 for Mike Trout. So you're talking about this guy, like you said, he's a rookie. He's only been here for a few months. I'm rattling, I'm not rattling off numbers in his peer group. I'm rattling off numbers in across baseball. Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, some, some of these uh, the, these names you see. You look at, you know, um, OBP. I mean, he's up there once his screen gets going. He's uh, he's 11th in on-base pl- uh, plus and then slugging. All these numbers, he's rattling around, hovering around the top five 
usually with some of these numbers. So, man, it's going to be interesting to see how they go here, pushing these different phases of the voting. How much better can it get? I mean, is it... Are we, are we looking at basically maintaining right now and taking out the month of April? Or what, what steps forward can he take? A couple of things. The question is, is he going to run as much in a couple of years? Like, I no, no, love, let's, let's say this year. Or, this and, year, and okay. Between maybe the next two years. Well, I think the trend you're starting to see, literally, is that launch angle going up. Right? And I say that because he, and we talked about this early in the show, he hits them all really hard. But everything is kind of catching. Line drive percentages through the roof and everything. He hits the ball on the ground a ton. He did that a lot in the minor leagues too. But now you're starting to see him catch the ball a little bit different on that, different on, in his swing part. And the ball's starting to leave the ballpark. So I think when you see that more consistently, those all of a sudden those big, you know, beefy power numbers, along with all the athleticism, that's where I think the next step is. Yeah. It, 70 home runs. Boy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> In due time. And in 50 time. stolen bases. Yeah, it's he is just playing at a, at a clip that is just so, so welcome to see. Hey, make sure you are casting your vote to send Ty France to the 2022 All-Star Game. I reminded you in the first hour. I am going to remind you here in the second hour. Ty is one of two finalists for the American League starting first baseman. He's up against Toronto's Vlad Guerrero Jr., who you will see in person over the next four nights at T-Mobile Park. So what better way to send a message to the Jays fans that have made that trek down to Seattle than by sending them packing, not just with a Mariners series win or a series sweep, but also putting our guy, Ty France, into the All-Star game ahead of their guy, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Make sure you're voting once per day at MLB.com slash vote. Voting ends on July 8th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So make sure that you are getting those votes in. Set a reminder on your phone. Set a reminder on your computer. Wherever it is, you're going to see that reminder. Make sure that it is all set up and ready to go. And by the way, I checked. There is no rule against signing up multiple email addresses. So, uh, you know, if you want to kind of bend the rules a little bit, no one's no one's no harm in that, I don't think. Maybe I'm going to get in trouble. Maybe I might get a slap on the wrist. But you know what? The Mariners, they need some all-star presence down in Los Angeles. And what better way to guarantee that than by getting Ty France in as a starter? That's right. Coming up next, we wrap up this edition of Extra Innings with a little bit of pepper, including... A brand new top 100 prospects list on MLB Pipeline. Four Mariners listed, including one brand new name to the list. We got to get into that next here on Extra Innings. This is Seattle Sports Station, the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Let's take a look around Major League Baseball as we do each and every edition of Extra Innings around this time. For some pepper, the biggest headlines in baseball or headlines that have jumped out to me over the last 24 hours or so. Let's take a look at a brand new top 100 prospects list on MLB Pipeline that is ran by MLB.com. And a lot of good continuing for the Mariners farm system. Four Mariners listed in total on the top 100 list. The highest-ranked Mariner, Noel V. Marte. Not a shocker, but he is not in the top 10 where he was earlier this season. He is now ranked 21st, not having his best year for Everett. But, look, you know, he's still in the top 21 in terms of prospects in all of baseball, still very young. 
Other names for the Mariners, Harry Ford, last year's first-round pick, having an incredible start to his career. He's with single-A Modesto. He is absolutely mashing the ball right now. And also very active on the base pass for a catcher. Another name that we know here in Seattle, Matt Brash, ranked 94th in all of Major League Baseball. He had a couple of flashy starts for the Mariners. They have since at least put on hold for now his future as a starting pitcher and hopes to get him back up as a reliever, which will be interesting. I, I You forget about Matt Brash as a potential addition to this Mariners team in the second half of the season or around trade deadline time. Is his time in the bullpen or his time spent in the bullpen going to be worthwhile for this team down the stretch? Because, look, you can never have enough starting pitching. I do know that his command is something that has been a, a huge concern with him. Obviously, that's what got him in trouble at the end of his first go-around at the big league level with the Mariners. But, look, if the Mariners find themselves needing starting pitching at any point, because as we know, it's the most needed commodity in all of Major League Baseball, and if any one of these five guys, which God forbid that happens, but... Look, there is very little room for error in terms of the Mariners' starting rotation right now. I do wonder if Matt Brash is maybe a starting pitcher is is something that the Mariners should consider. Now you do run the risk of of the whole Brandon Morrow thing. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? But I think his ultimate value at the major league level may come as a starting pitcher. And we saw what he can do when given that opportunity. I look back on that start against the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, the book was not entirely written on him at that point. Major league hitters didn't really know what they were facing. But that was a, a electric start in an atmosphere that was not one very conducive to young pitching. Now, the new name on the top 100 list is a name in last year's draft, second-round pick, middle infielder Edwin Arroyo, who is tearing the cover off the ball right now for Class A Modesto, the Nuts. Get a look at his stat line right now. He's got an OPS of 916, batting average of 319, an on-base of 392, slugging at 524, 12 home runs, 54 RBIs. And, oh, by the way, Arroyo is just 18 years old. He was young for his draft class last year, drafted as a 17-year-old. He's 18 years old, 315 days. He doesn't turn 19 until August 25th. Another name to add to the many prospects that are in this system. And, obviously, you know, Emerson Hancock, he was not listed. That's another potential prospect that could blossom at some point. He's back throwing more regularly now. So I look at this farm system, even though they have graduated guys like Jared Kelnick and Julio and George Kirby and Logan Gilbert over the last two seasons, there are still enforcements on the way. There are still reinforcements, and also it gives them ample reserves to pick from if they do want to make an addition at the trade deadline. If they do want to make a a trade in which they acquire talent, they got to give up talent. That's how it works. So maybe one of these guys could be used in a package to go out and get a big name or get out just a name in general uh, in order to help bolster this Mariners run at, at a wild card berth. Now, tonight is July 6th. We are nearing the 9 o'clock hour. We saw something last night on July 5th 
from one of the biggest free agent signings of the offseason, they did something they had not done all year long. You want to know the answer? Text it into the Mac and Jack's text line, 206-421-3776. I mean, I'm not going to give you a ton of time to answer here because obviously i got to get rolling with this segment, but Chris Bryant of the Colorado Rockies. Remember he signed with the Rockies? That feels so weird. Maybe because we haven't really seen Chris Bryant play this year. He's been hurt for a lot of it, but he hit his first home run as a member of the Rockies just a day ago. Just a day ago. It, it has not been an easy go of it in the in Denver for Chris Bryant. I mean, this is a guy that definitely found a taker in Colorado, but boy, that was a contract that I think Colorado would like to have back just because, man... Uh, it has not gone his way. It has not gone the Rockies' way. And I wonder if there might be a little bit of buyer's remorse on their on their part. Elsewhere in baseball, now, how bad have things gotten for the L.A. Angels? Well, ever since the brawl that started it all for the Mariners and maybe have has ended it all for the Angels, uh, it has not gone their way at all. They are, what, 2-5 and five since then. They've and now, on MLB Network today, a roundtable discussion between Steven Nelson, host of Intentional Talk, Dan Plesak, one of their lead analysts, and Harold Reynolds. Obviously, you know him from his time on Baseball Tonight, his time in a Mariner uniform. Those three, get this, actually discussed if it's time for the Angels to consider moving on from either Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. Imagine having that conversation on July 6th after the month of April and halfway through May that they had. They were 27-17, and 17, 10 games above 500. They were nipping at the heels of the Astros. In fact, they were in first place at one point. Joe Madden was still their manager. And now we're on July 6th wondering if maybe the Angels should consider tearing this thing down. How did we get here? And I get that Phil Nevin has been a terrible manager since taking over for Joe Madden. In fact, I believe he's still serving his 10-game suspension that he incurred after the actions of the brawl between the Mariners and the Angels. But could you imagine a team that has wasted more talent than the Angels have with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, two generational players. We're talking two guys that have never, ever, we have never seen those kinds of skill sets replicated or really ever seen them prior to their existence in Major League Baseball. And now we're talking potentially the Angels considering moving on from either one of those guys. Now, I'm not saying that'll happen, but it's being talked about on MLB Network, and I don't think you bring up that kind of conversation if there isn't anything beyond the conversation. It is going to be quite off season, quite a rest of the season for this Angels organization. Getting back to MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects, you want to look at the top 10. No, no Mariners presence. Riley Green of Detroit, he is number one. He actually was recently called up by the Tigers. Francisco Alvarez is the number two prospect and baseball catcher in the Mets organization. Corbin Carroll, an outfielder for the Diamondbacks, and then the Orioles have the number four and number five spots. Grayson Rodriguez, a right-handed pitcher, and Gunnar Henderson, 
a shortstop. That rounds out your top five. Number six prospect, Gabriel Moreno, catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, the team you are going to see this Mariners team play starting tomorrow at T-Mobile Park for a four-game series. That is going to do it for me here tonight on Extra Innings. I am Curtis Rogers. Make sure you are downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com and also make sure that you are heading out to T-Mobile Park this weekend to make sure that Toronto fans don't take your seats. Mariners have won 12 of 15. They've won four in a row. Hopefully they can keep it rolling this weekend against the Blue Jays. Really appreciate you stopping by. we got a lot of people to thank for this one, for Brandon Gustafson and Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Like I said, I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.